This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Set up point headman, right to go Kudrov. Score! Patrick Kudrov! Well, it is a game day here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The Lightning gets set to take on the Boston Bruins. That is right. It is the second game for both teams when it comes to this round-robin tournament. And the Lightning are looking to go 2-0. and And if they go 2-0, and that means that, well, they have a really, really good advantage over the Boston Bruins when it comes to seeding or reseeding the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. So from that standpoint, a pretty big game for the Lightning, and I think to a lesser extent, the Boston Bruins. I am Greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin, and Steve Versnick coming up in 15 minutes or so. The Bruins play-by-play man, Judd Surratt, he'll come on to talk about this Boston Bruins team and what is not necessarily the mindset they're having coming into this game, but what are they looking to get out of this game? Because we heard about Boston before this round-robin tournament began that maybe they were more inclined to make sure they were ready for the playoffs from the standpoint that if they had to rest some veterans, they would. But you also have heard coaches say, look, we need to be ready to go once these games start for real. And you wonder if the Bruins, because they're taking on the Lightning, automatically get ramped up intensity-wise. Let's bring in Dave Mishkin. And Dave, I think that's one of the the interesting things I'm going to be watching for today in addition to more personnel decisions maybe the Lightning have to make, whether it's getting another look at Jan Ruta or Zach Bogosian, Mitchell Stevens. I think those are all fair points and things that we continue to monitor moving forward. But I'm interested to see the intensity of this game and how each team plays two games in to this round-robin tournament. The Lightning want games to be filled with playoff-like intensity. They said that before the Ron Robin, we got that in the game on Monday between the Lightning and Capitals. John Cooper did say afterward that had that been a playoff game, the intensity would have been higher, but it was not lacking for intensity. We saw that with the emotions involved, physical play, fight, and both teams really played like they wanted to win that game. And I think that that was, as we talked about the other day, Greg, beneficial for both teams as they get ready for their first playoff series. The Bruins had a much different game in their opener of the round robin on Sunday against the Flyers. The intensity level was not as high in that game. And they didn't play very well after the first period, certainly, and maybe even after the first 10 minutes or so. And the Flyers did. So I think there are a lot of balls in the air for the Bruins. We'll get more insight on the Boston side from Judd coming up in the next segment. But I would have to guess that no matter what they talked about before the round robin began about, you know, let's just get through this thing healthy. Let's get into the playoffs. doesn't matter who we play. They don't want to be playing the sort of hockey they have been playing when their series starts next week. They were not overly impressive in their exhibition. They lost to Columbus. And they didn't have a very good game against the Flyers. So whether they win today or not, I think the Bruins understand they need to play better. They got two more games before their playoff series begins. So taking it from the Lightning side, I think you have to be ready for a team that is going to bring a high-intensity level. And you should welcome that because that's exactly what you want to get ready for your first playoff series as well. I think it's always interesting, too, when we evaluate teams like the Boston Bruins, maybe to a lesser extent the Washington Capitals, a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins, Dave, who have had a pretty long run of being one of the better teams in the league. But you also have a bunch of veterans on those teams because of the years they've accumulated playing. And being in contention means you're relying a lot on whether it's Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Tuka Rask, Zdeno Chara. So their core is still older. Now, they have obviously complemented some of those players with the Posternocks and 
the McAvoys and, and players like that. But to me, it's always interesting to watch those teams that have won for a while to kind of see when do they eventually hit the wall with those veteran players. Because once that does happen, there is a change that does take place. And the minute Bergeron and Marchand, as I said, I'm speaking of those two specifically, but Krejci to a lesser extent, their play really starts to dip. That's when those teams almost have to retool and revamp their rosters. But as long as they're still playing at a high level, they're always going to be one of those teams. They might not be the favorites, Dave, every year, but they're always a team that you have to worry about. And I'm not saying two games means that Boston is on the decline, but it is something I think as these players get older, you pay closer attention to because when it does hit, eventually, organizationally, you really have to start making some strong decisions about where your team is to get competitive the following year. You're right. And I don't know that the Bruins are at that point yet. They did get to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final last year. And they were on their way to winning the President's Trophy this year. Comfortably, I would say. They were. And, and they did win it because the season ended on March the 12th, and they had the most points in the regular season. Again, I'll defer to Judd on this because he knows the Bruins a lot better than I do or you do. But it seems to me that the Bruins' formula for success is tied up in three categories. They have an elite first line with Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. And that line is as good as any line in the league and can do a lot of the heavy lifting offensively for Boston. They want more scoring. They want secondary scoring. It's been seemingly year after year after year a struggle to find wingers that can play and be consistently productive with David Krejci, their their second-line center. But their first line, un questionably, is fantastic. And that is tied to your point about when Bergeron starts to slow down and he's shown no indication that he is, like how much will that affect the engine of this team? So their first line is one. Or The second point is, under Bruce Cassidy, they are as good a team in terms of structure as any in the league. I put them up there with the Blues, their opponent in the Stanley Cup final last year. And that's beyond the Bergeron line. Everybody buys in. Everybody plays, particularly in the defensive zone, their position well. They limit shots. They limit scoring chances. Again, they, they're they right up there. They led the league in, in goals against average as a team this year. Part of that's the goaltending, but a lot of it is how they play in front of the goaltender. And that is not necessarily tied to, quote-unquote, age, right? I mean, they have young players who have come up and bought in, and they're contributing. They may not be contributing in terms of tons of points, but they're doing their job as far as the defensive zone or from the red line back to their net, play without the puck, and play with the puck because they're not turning it over. So that's two. And then three, their power play. Their power play, which is kind of tied to their top line, but you also have Krejci on that unit and Tori Krug, usually, those five guys with the three guys on the top line, is very dangerous. And so those three components, when they're going well, and if they get secondary scoring great, like Wagner scored the other day for them, and their fourth line last year in the playoffs had a pretty good run, which was a big part of why they got to the Stanley Cup final. But if you're going to say, you know what, when's Bergeron going to start slowing down? I don't know that that's going to affect their structure because he's just one piece in this cog that's, you know, doing well to prevent opposition chances. But it may, in fact, affect their ability to, to be dynamic offensively. And personally, I don't think they're at that point yet. But what we may be seeing is a function of Long layoff, coming back. They had a weird training camp because a lot of guys were in, were out. They've been mixing and matching. Pasternak didn't even participate in any of the phase three workouts. 
and it may be a situation where their structure is a little bit off. I mean, for the Bruins to give up two odd man rush goals, which they did against the Flyers, goal three and goal four, you just don't see that, right? You don't see yep. them giving up two-on-ones because they're so good defensively. And the fact that they gave up not just one goal off an odd man rush, but two is an indication that they're getting their game back to where it needs to be, which is going to be a challenge for them. They need to get there because we're seeing other teams, Greg, have gotten there. How well did Carolina play defensively against yes. the Rangers? And they were fantastic. No doubt. How well have the Islanders played defensively against Florida? They've been they've been great, even when the Panthers have had moments where they've surged. That's the bread and butter of the Islanders. In Carolina, a big part of their game is, I mean, they're dynamic, certainly, and they have a good first line as well. But they also play very well as a team, and it seems like they've gotten it to their game level already. Now, they were in a play-in series. The Bruins are not. But what I would go back going back to the original point, what I would expect if if you're on the lightning side is you have to expect that the Bruins are going to be accelerating the process as much as they can to get back to the form that helped them rack up a hundred points during the regular season. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. We're getting you set for Lightning and Bruins. I guess the other newsy item, Dave, that we should get to. It does look like Tuka Rask will be in net today after, uh, I guess, uh, filling ill and Yaroslav Halak playing in their first round robin game. It looks like there could be a couple of lineup changes that Boston's going to deal with. We'll talk to Judd about that coming up in just a little bit. But the status of Steven Stamkos, I think, is interesting. And I think it's interesting because... The longer it goes, more people are going to have questions about where he is. Now, I'm not overly concerned at this point if Steven Stamkos still doesn't feel 100%. There's no need to rush him back during this time, especially when you've got the playoffs looming next week. Now, if he misses a playoff game or two and it starts to trickle into that first round, then... I think it's something certainly to keep an eye on, but I, I think it at least was newsworthy, you know, John Cooper ruling Stamkos out at the very least because, you know, he wants to get him in at least one game before the playoffs really do begin. It was not that long ago. John Cooper said it was vital. That was the word he used, vital, that Stamkos would get into at least one round-robin game, and he was hopeful that he could get into more than one. That's not going to happen now. I mean, at most it's going to be one because he didn't play Monday and he's not playing today. So clearly the landscape has shifted a little bit in terms of their expectation for when he would be ready to play. And they keep using this phrase ebbs and flows of you know surgery recovery. And that's kind of what it's been. Like, he's skated, he's participated in practice, then he hasn't. Then he's been kind of partially involved, then he hasn't. They got to Toronto. He had three, I believe it was three full practices with the team, and then he didn't practice. Now, yesterday he was kind of a part-time participant or a limited participant in their skate, apparently, but didn't take regular line rushes, and he's been ruled out for today's game. So we don't know and we can't control it, <laughs> nor can the Lightning. I mean, either he's going to be able to play or he isn't. And if he's not, that does mean that we're going to revert back to our conversation from yesterday about Mitchell Stevens, who has been really invaluable as a guy who was slotted in as a right-handed shooting center who takes draws to the right of the goalie can take draws on penalty kill, can play on that line with Maroon and Paquette and be very effective, scored a goal against the Capitals. And if Stamkos is not able to go, and we don't know that, I'm just saying that's an if, at least you have a Mitchell Stevens who has shown that he can step into that role and help your team. Makes a lot of sense, and... It's something certainly we're going to keep an eye on. In addition to, you know, the personnel, as we said before, playing in today's game, how guys look like Ruta, Bogosian, Stevens, and uh, Dave and I will talk more about that in just a little bit. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can, at Bolt Radio. 
I am Greg Lanelli, along with Dave Mishkin. Judd Surratt joins us in our next segment. He's the Ruins, Bruins Radio play-by-play man. We'll get his thoughts on this game today and so much more. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. So glad you're with us, getting you set for Lightning and Bruins. Game two for both teams in this round-robin tournament. Pre-game will start at 3.30. The puck drops at 4 o'clock. I am Greg Winnelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. And we are joined by the radio voice of the Bruins, Judd Surratt. And we're very glad to have him on to talk about this game this afternoon. And Judd, first off, thank you so much for coming on. And look, for both teams, uh, they know they're advancing uh, to the next round. And they're just waiting the opponents they want to play. But... That being said, they want to play well heading into the first round of the playoffs. And I've got to think for the Bruins, probably taking on the Lightning comes at a pretty good time to uh, uh, be a bit better than they were in their first round round game. Well, I think there's a lot of truth to that, Greg. Uh, I think that the Bruins, in many ways, feel like maybe playing a team like the Lightning, a division rival, a team they've had a lot of history with, can help bring the best out of their game. I, I think the Bruins' big focus heading into the round-robin tournament and after the long layoff uh, because of the NHL pause was to try and get their game in order. They had one exhibition game and three round-robin games to do it, uh, and clearly they were not happy with the way they played against the Philadelphia Flyers, so they need a much better effort here today. Are the Bruins putting a lot of emphasis on this game because you're down to two left before the playoffs began, and you referenced not only the, the subpar game in their mind against the Flyers. I guess the exhibition against Columbus wasn't exactly a stellar performance either. How important is this game for the Bruins? Well, Mish, I, I, again, uh, I think that they have their eyes on two things. You know, obviously they would like to be able to finish as high as possible in the round robin, um, even though they were the President's Trophy winner during the regular season. But that said, they want to make sure that all facets of their game are ready to go once they enter the first round of the playoffs. And when you look at the Bruins... The foundation, the bedrock of the team is how they defend. This is an elite defensive team. They were number one in the league in goals against. Uh, They have a fabulous top line. They excel on special teams. But they also need lines two, three, and four to be ready to go in addition to that. Judd, I know it's only a couple of games. You've seen training camp. But how have the veterans looked so far? Sometimes with a long layoff, it can take those guys maybe a little bit longer to find their legs and to get back into the swing of things. Do you find that's been the case? Or have they looked pretty good and uh, they're ready to just build off of game one? Greg, it's so difficult to judge. And I think this goes even for a regular training camp for most teams. Uh, I I try not to put a whole lot of stock in, in what I see in practices on a game-by-game basis um, because for a lot of these players, whether they're young or old, uh, everything changes once somebody in the other team is trying to take your head off. Um, And and I have no doubt, you know, considering uh, what this veteran corps has been through, guys like Chara and Bergeron, Krejci, Rask, having won a Stanley Cup in 2011, having made two other trips to the Stanley Cup final. So I, I don't think that there's any question uh, that the leadership is there. Um, yes, they have uh, a lot of years under their belt, but I think that once the games start to count, you'll see them elevate their play. We had talked on this program prior, certainly to Phase 4, and even prior to Phase 3 beginning, that it was almost going to be a race for teams to rediscover their structure once we returned because it's hard to do when you've been off for four or five months even if your brain says I want to play good defense sometimes executing it can be difficult when you haven't been doing it regularly and we've seen some teams slide right back in those teams have had early success in this tournament that is obviously a big part of Boston's game you just mentioned that do you think the phase three camp that was haphazard, I'll use that word for the Bruins, you had guys in, out of the lineup, able to skate, not able to skate. Did that have an effect, do you think, on the team's ability, at least to this point, to rediscover that structure? Well, you certainly bring up a fascinating point, Mish, uh, but let me start in the big picture. Uh, For most of these teams around the National Hockey League, if you play a regular season, you have six or seven months to get the good habits down that you need in order to go far and win a Stanley Cup in the playoffs. And I think having 
nearly a five-month pause and to step back on the ice and starting to play games at a high level, I don't think that those habits just come back automatically. They come back through repetition. You're not going to have the benefit of that. Um, Certainly teams like the Bruins and all four teams in the round robin will have a little extra cushion because they have a few games before they begin the first round. So I, I don't think it's automatic that those habits come back. So I I do think that that's a a valid point when it comes to the Bruins. But that said, they, like a lot of teams around the National Hockey League, had flux in their lineup, while uh, Pasternak and Kasha essentially did not participate in a full practice with the Bruins uh, while they were here in Boston and before they left the bubble. Uh, The Bruins still pride themselves on the five-man units and the system that they play Uh, in order to be successful. So uh, having those guys certainly would have helped, but I don't think in any way it should inhibit their ability to regain their habits. Judd Surratt joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play along with Greg Manelli and Dave Mishkin. Judd, when we talk about depth scoring or role players, is there one player on the Bruins who's maybe more important than others when it comes to the Bruins being really a Stanley Cup contending team and complementing that first line? David Krejci. That's an easy one. Uh, Even the former coach, Claude Julien, there was a famous quote he said for years, we go as Krejci goes. Um, Now, last year, it was Charlie Coyle's line uh, that really exploded in the playoffs for the Bruins. David Krejci and Jake DeBrus, they were certainly um, productive for the Bruins during that run. But Charlie Coyle in particular, along with Marcus Johansson, were a real threat. But Krejci in particular, you're talking about an elite centerman in the National Hockey League who's had a rotating cast of wingers and I I think in a lot of ways uh, it's made it harder for him to produce here's a guy if you look across his career there are very few guys uh, that have led the Stanley Cup playoffs in scoring on two different occasions David Krejci is one of them Wayne Gretzky is another so that's the type of company that he can keep But I think the challenge for Bruce Cassidy here over the last few years, and really for the Boston Bruins since Nathan Horton uh, left the team, is to try and find wingers or a winger that complements him best. Jake DeBrusque played with David Krejci in 17-18 when the Bruins uh, and Lightning met uh, in the playoffs in the second round. Uh, This year, DeBrusque and Krejci didn't have the success that I think that the team was hoping that they would have. Those two actually played together in game one of the round robin against the Flyers, but here heading against the Lightning, and Bruce Cassidy, I think, is going to move around his pieces, and he is uh, admittedly a tinkerer. DeBrusque and Krejci haven't been able to recapture all season the chemistry that they've had in the past. Generally speaking, for a team that prides itself on its structure, and that structure has brought that team great success, is it challenging for guys to come in at the deadline and acclimate? And it's interesting you brought up Coyle and Johansson because those were two guys who did come in at the deadline last year and certainly had a huge impact in the playoffs. But thinking about this year, you know, you add Richie and Kasha. Just generally, is it challenging for players to come in from different teams, different systems maybe, and, and find the Bruins' way? Uh, I, I'm sure that every case is a little bit different, Mish. Um, it, it's fascinating. When you think back to last year, um, Coyle and Johansson really never played together during the regular season. Part of that was because Marcus Johansson took a hit from Michael Furlan and was injured uh, for the bulk of the time that he was acquired in the regular season from the New Jersey Devils. And, and originally, uh, I think the idea was to put Marcus Johansson with David Krejci last year. He ended up with Charlie Coyle and those guys exploded, but they really didn't have a chance to play together Uh, as a line and as a unit until game one of the playoffs against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, this year you mentioned Richie and Kasha. Let's take Kasha in particular. So the Bruins wanted to address secondary scoring, and they got Kasha with the idea that that he would help. Here's a guy who likes to shoot 20 goals in the past. Uh, He's actually got another year left on his contract before he hits uh, restricted free agency. And you've got a guy in David Krejci who, as we outlined before, is an elite playmaker in the National Hockey League. But the Bruins were unable to see that combination play, in part because Kasha came and he was still dealing with some lingering effects of an injury that he experienced in Anaheim. And then when you fast forward after the pause, um, and this is a big mystery, he only participated in one day of Phase 3 training camp. 
and that wasn't a full practice. He didn't join the team um, and wasn't on the charter. He joined late in getting from Boston to the Toronto bubble. So he's a big unknown. He's not going to play today. Uh, I think they are targeting Sunday against the Washington Capitals. Nick Ritchie. Ritchie was a guy, and the Bruins made a hockey trade. They sent Danton Heine to Anaheim. And in return, they got Nick Ritchie. They wanted to see if they could add a little size, uh, a little grit. Um, but here's a guy in the, who, in the past, has scored some goals. He can certainly be a physical force. He's uh, as big as any winger or maybe the biggest winger that the Bruins have up front. Um, and, and he had limited success, I think, during the regular season. But also a guy who bounced around a little bit. Uh, playing on the second line, playing on the third line. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see what he looks like as he steps back into the lineup here for the first time. He missed the tail end of practices in phase three um, and did miss a practice or two at the start uh, of phase four when the Bruins entered the bubble in Toronto. He's going to make his round-robin debut today here against the Lightning. John, I, I know it's tough to evaluate after having so many days off being away from the game but when it's all said and done do you think these are the two best teams in the eastern conference Ooh, um tough to say uh, i think you know i really have to group washington in there in particular uh especially with the success that they've had um uh, against the bruins and, and honestly if if i had to look i know they've had some success uh in years past against the tampa bay lightning um i, I don't think that they're necessarily as strong as they have been in the past on the back end. Uh, but the Bruins have had a hard time with Holpe, and, and obviously that's a tremendous cast uh, that they have up front at forward. So uh, I, I would say it's sort of a three-headed monster uh, in the Eastern Conference. Um, with all due respect to Philadelphia, I think there's some questions. Um, what is Carter Hart going to look like when, when actual playoff games start? He's certainly a, a, a tremendous young goaltender for the Philadelphia Flyers, only 21 years old, and they've got some great young defensemen. Uh, and they picked up some great depth pieces at, at the trade deadline, a nice work by Chuck Fletcher, adding guys like um, Nate Thompson to the group uh, and Derek Grant to the group. I think he's a really under-the-radar signing uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. But that's sort of the way I look uh, at the Eastern Conference. So uh, I really think it's a group of three. What other series around the league have intrigued you in this first week? Boy, that's a good question. Um, it, it's been awesome getting a chance to watch all this hockey day and night. It's you hard know, to watch I, all I of did, it. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, but it's certainly nice if you need to take a break uh, from some of your homework, getting ready for our game for the Bruins and the Lightning is just, you know, slide on over to the TV and, and all of a sudden you got a game. Um I really thought that the Rangers would have given the Carolina Hurricanes a little bit more trouble uh, in that opening qualifying round. Um, but Carolina beat them like a drum. And, um, you know, it, I, I, I would have been fascinated to see also if, if the regular season had continued and we had not had the pandemic or the NHL pause, would the Rangers have made it? They were coming on strong there at the end. And maybe this goes back to some of the things that, Mish, that you had brought up that some of the habits that, that the Rangers had late in the season, and they were winning games without Chris Kreider in the lineup, he actually came back because of the time that was off. Uh, and that's in, in part why I thought, oh, maybe this is an, an opportunity for the Rangers to advance out of the qualifying round uh, and into the playoffs. But uh, Carolina looked terrific. Uh, Sebastian Ajo was, was a star last night. Uh, you know, in that whole top line, they are, they are tough to play against. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, and and they were able to get wins um, from James Reimer. Uh, what did I see the comment out of Toronto that, uh, you know, James Reimer was able to win a playoff game uh, in Toronto? How key is that for the Carolina Hurricanes? Obviously playing on his history uh, back with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But there are so many fascinating series, I think, to look at around the National Hockey League, uh, both in the East and in the West. Judd, before uh... – I let you go with my last question here. You know, the way the NHL prepared for this situation, they've been praised, and they should, the way they've tested, the way they've coordinated everything logistically. Um, is there anything you think they take from this that they can use next year or the year after, whether it's, you know, maybe expanding the playoffs down the road or 
thinking outside the box with the different TV angles, whether you like them or not. Uh, do you feel like there are some things that, because they had to change the way they went about their business now, that they may look at and say, you know what, that was actually a pretty good idea. Maybe we can use that moving forward. Greg, I'm sure that there are probably going to be some things that, that they ponder uh, going forward. I, I don't know if I'd necessarily be in favor uh, of expanding the current playoff system beyond um, the normal uh, eight teams from each conference. Uh, I would like to see some different angles. I would like to see more audio. Uh, so hopefully that's something that they have going forward. Uh, I think for, for those of us, you guys included, obviously, the way we do our job, I, I hope um, that when it is safe to be able to do our jobs uh, in the arena, that <laughs> uh, the Zoom media access is something that kind of goes by the wayside uh, because it certainly makes it a lot harder to be, be able to get the stories that you like to be able to get so you can bring them uh, to your broadcast, both radio and television, and then for people in, uh, in the, the written medium in print uh, to be able to get those stories that, that are so rich and, and make a difference uh, in the way we cover the teams. But um, I, I think there will be some things that you know that we see here um that are definitely going to be the case going forward i think one thing in particular that i thought uh you know how normally the referee will have uh he'll reach down like you know referee in football and and he'll have to flick on the mic to be able to announce the penalty well now they're not wearing those mics he just talks into a mic at center rice i I think that that mic is going to be there uh i i think I think that some of those enhance enhancements, the way we view the game, the way we hear the game, uh, I, I think that we will see something going forward. Last one for me, Judd. Rask was not feeling well, did not even dress for the round robin game against the Flyers. Would it be your expectation that he's going to get all of today's game and all of Sunday's game against Washington? He's, he's expected to play all of today's game here against the Tampa Bay Lightning. How Bruce Cassidy is going to approach Sunday, even he had mentioned it, Mish, that, that I think that they're going to see um, what happens after today's game and what the schedule looks like going forward for the Bruins. Um, it was always Cassidy's plan to play both goaltenders during the round robin, but because Rask, uh, just a quick backstory on that, apparently there's a questionnaire on an app, a testing app that all the players have in the bubble and they ask you, you know, hey, are you feeling certain symptoms? And one of them was a cough. And Rask indicated that he did have a cough. And all of a sudden he said he saw red lights uh, going on and off like crazy. Uh, and the NHL, uh, out of a heightened sense of caution, smartly, uh, told him to quarantine for two days and get two negative tests. Uh, he got the two negative tests. He said he still does have the cough. Um, but... It was nice to know that he did not have COVID-19. So uh, in the big picture, I think that, you know, it, it's also going to come down to the conversations that Rask, the goaltending coach, Bob Ascens and Bruce Cassidy have. What does Rask feel like he needs in order uh, to get his game ready uh, for the first round of the playoffs? We're going to get a chance to see both Rask and Vasilevsky today, a couple of Vesna finalists. Well, Judd, have a great call today. Enjoy yourself. Thanks for taking the time to talk about the game, and uh, we'll do it again down the road. Sounds good. Thanks, Greg and Mish. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks, Judd. You got it. You too. All right, Judd Surratt joining us here on the program, and Dave and I will recap what Judd had to say and also take your questions and your concerns about the game this afternoon at 4 o'clock between the Lightning and the Bruins. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. You know, Dave, I, I wanted to ask Judd there. It, it just dawned on me. He had mentioned that the whether it was the league or the, the Bruins had asked uh, the players to fill out, you know, are they feeling any symptoms, you know, before, which was the smart thing to do. And Rask mentioned that he had a cough and he had to get tested and quarantine himself for a couple of days. It kind of goes back to what uh, you and I maybe discussed. This was three, four weeks ago. Maybe it was during my Pennsylvania trip when I made the comment to you that could you imagine if a player felt 
like he you know had a fever or wasn't feeling great but it was the stanley cup finals and if they're still testing these players which they are and they're asking them to be honest which you hope these players would be if they're feeling sick you know is that a situation where the league would say you gotta quarantine yourself for a couple of days miss miss a game or two but you know if you're ready to go you can go back in for game three of the stanley cup finals i know that's an extreme situation but it got me thinking like all right, so the, their situation there with Tuka Rask was, you know, let's make sure he's okay for a couple of days. Let's take a couple of tests, make sure comes out negative. But, you know, until then, you're not going to play. And I think that still resonates that, you know, we are dealing with a, a pandemic and it's it's still serious. And that if you show any signs that you possibly might not be feeling well, that um, the league and, and certain teams, every team hopefully, will be taking the, the precautions to make sure you're okay. Yeah, what's interesting is the players are getting tested every day. So it wasn't that they gave him tests that he wouldn't otherwise be receiving. Right. It was more that they just said, quarantine yourself until we get through two negative tests to make sure that this isn't blossoming, if that's the right word, into you know something that's a cough and it's actually a symptom of COVID-19. What got me thinking, <laughs> you took the serious tack. I was thinking about like, you're in you're in a, a stairwell and in a building that you're not in very often and you're like you're like oh I need to get out and you open a door and all of a sudden all these alarms start going off I kind of thought of that when he said Tuca filled out yeah I do have a cough <laughs> and all of a sudden all these alarms started going off on his phone that's right <laughs> which you know if that story gets around yeah bringing it back to a more serious tack you know you wonder if a player has a symptom he hears about that and he's like well i don't want to quarantine for two days <laughs> you know i have a little bit of a cough i'm just not going to say anything you'd hope that they would be honest about it but they they're not going to be able to to fake their way into a negative test if it is in fact positive but that's just one other level sure. of security probably with that questionnaire that the players fill out every day Dave, let's focus on the game maybe today from the Lightning's perspective before we move on to a few things. At Greg Linnelli, at Dave Michigan, at Bolts Radio, and what you're going to be watching for today. I think initially people want to see if the Lightning get an opportunity to go on the power play. But as I said before, you know whether it's Zach Bogosian, Jan Ruta, Mitchell Stevens, or you know even Andre Pilat again getting another opportunity, you would think playing on the top line, that there are some players you want to see continue to elevate their play or, or continue the path they've been on since training camp and of course for me it always comes down to the back end and and how that's all going to play out and the opportunity that Jan Rutsa may get to play with Victor Head moving forward or you know internally has the coaching staff made that decision that it is Zach Bogosian's job to lose. Well, based on how they paired the defensemen in practice yesterday, it does look like Ruda is going to be playing in today's game with Hedman. So the coaches, if they've made up their mind, it's not etched in stone about Bogosian being Hedman's partner for game one of the playoffs, or at least if that's what they're thinking right now, they're willing to be persuaded. So yeah, I'm curious to see how Ruda plays. If he is able to settle into a nice rhythm with Hedman, which we saw frequently for long stretches during the regular season before Ruda got hurt. It'd be nice to see the Lightning go on the power play and yeah. get a chance. I mean, I'm saying that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but in all seriousness, you know, they would like to work their special teams. You and I talked about this before the Washington game, and you said, you know, work the special teams power play and penalty kill. And, you know, I brought up, well, the Lightning want to stay out of the box. They want to get in the habit of not taking a lot of penalties. They ended up taking four against the Caps. The one right at the end of overtime was only an eight-second kill. But even still, that's probably one to two more than the coaching staff would like. So let's see if they can keep the number of times shorthanded in this game to two or less, particularly given how good the Bruins' power play is. But yeah, I'd like to see the Lightning get some reps on the power play. Remember, they had some power play chances in the exhibition game against Florida, but Victor Hedman was not playing in that game. Yeah. So that top unit, Stamkos is not there either, but that top unit where Hedman would be 
at the center point as the one defenseman, that unit has not gotten any looks so far since they've been in Toronto because Hedman wasn't playing in the exhibition and then they didn't get a power play chance in the game against Washington. But the the most important thing would probably be that word that the Judd used, habits. Let's see if the Lightning can continue delivering the sort of game that is filled with good habits and good decisions. And it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be perfect, but that's going to be a really important component to success in the playoffs. And I think for the most part, we've seen it from them. They did not have a great third period against Washington, but for the better part of the first two periods, they did play quite well, and they limited Washington's chances. They had a great game against Florida in the exhibition, for what that's worth, but it's not worth nothing. I mean, I'd rather have them play like that in the exhibition than have a terrible exhibition game. So let's see if they can build on that. And probably the last thing would be that intensity question, which is on the mind of the Bruins. That was the first thing that Judd talked about. They feel that playing a rival and the Lightning are a rival to the Bruins will help them elevate their game. And I think it'll help the Lightning too. That game that the teams played in Boston right before the season was paused was a regular season game without a lot of significance as far as their standings position, but it was played and felt like a playoff game. And I think both teams would sign up for that sort of game again today. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think that both teams would come out of a game like that feeling glad that they had a game like that. If that is in fact how it unfolds. I think he's played pretty well. And I think all it's going to take is maybe one goal and we may see a little bit of what we saw with Yanni Gord when he eventually broke through after what, going scoreless for how many games? 30, 30 some games and uh, had that goal in, in Pittsburgh and, and he started to fill the net a, a little more regularly, Dave, but um, I think for Blake Coleman too, you know, a guy that we've heard so much about that. He's gritty. He kills penalties. All of that is evident. I think we also want to look at it, though, and say, you know, part of the appeal of Blake Coleman was his ability to provide depth scoring. And certainly when he was with the Devils, had a little bit of a different role, but was a guy that could be counted on to fill the net. And look, I'm not telling you anything he doesn't know. I'm just waiting for him to score that first goal because I think when it does we may be seeing a different Blake Coleman than what we've seen up to this point. And sometimes it takes a player a little longer to get going with a new team. I can remember when the Penguins acquired James Neal the first year, and he had gone 20-some games without scoring a goal. Ironically, ended up getting a goal. I think it was against the Lightning. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in the playoffs. I remember the, the one in double overtime. Yeah, I just kind of threw it on net. Um, and he ended up being eventually a 40-goal scorer for them, but it took him a while to feel comfortable in that role. I'm not comparing Coleman to, to Neil. I'm just simply making the comparison that once you start to fill the net a little bit, I think things will change for Blake Coleman, and I think it's going to be in a positive way, not only for his performance, but I think for the Lightning because it'll give them another threat in the playoffs to score once he gets going. Lightning coaches have been really consistent both now and before the season was paused during the time that Coleman was with the Lightning after the trade from the Devils. They have been consistent in praising his play. He's in the right spot. He's generating chances for himself. They like his penalty killing. They like him and Goodrow as a pair up top on the penalty kill. They feel that he's been positionally sound. He's been physical. But he has not yet scored. So the coaches can praise him, and he can hear that. But I'm sure it will make a difference for him, confidence-wise, to score. And I agree with you that it would be nice to see him get that first one, and more may follow. But it is not taken away from other parts of his game, which is, at least from the coach's perspective, probably the most important thing. That he is 
he is producing, he is contributing, even without actually putting the puck in the net. And that's fair. And I think, along with Goodrow, we've seen what they can do on the penalty kill as well. And I actually think Goodrow in those Boston games, Dave, particularly the one in Boston, you know, I think everybody equates fighting to toughness, but you, you saw, I think, more grit and, and more intensity coming from him in that game and uh, more inclined to believe that's the type of player the Lightning really, really like from Goodrow. And I, I would expect something like that today. And I know, again, no fans in the stands. Sometimes it's hard for us to react to how a game's going to be played intensity-wise. But, you know, I think the Lightning do have the team where part of their appeal, especially going against the Bruins, is to hit their back end as much as possible, particularly Zidane Char. Now, we know how con- well-conditioned he is, and we know how uh, good of a player he is. He's seen a lot of things, but he also is, what, 43 and for the Lightning, who now have, I think, a lot more grit. Pat Maroon certainly has dropped the gloves with Chara a couple of times this year. I think anytime you have an opportunity to hit Chara or that back end, and look, teams are saying the same thing for Tampa Bay for sure. It's no secret. But I think they have the players to do that from the first line to the fourth line. And I would think we're going to see a pretty physical game from start to finish, not necessarily to the fighting and the, the extra stuff after the whistle, but guys making sure they finish their checks because I do think um, not only does that bring out the best in both teams when these when the Lightning and Bruins play, but I think that can get both teams in the game quicker. And um, the more physical it is, I think will be beneficial to both teams. Yeah, it's funny because we had that long conversation on yesterday's show about the physicality part of the game against Washington. And it was a great discussion. Chief had some insight as well. He actually didn't place a lot of emphasis on the physicality on the part of the Caps being tied to their better play in the third period. That was really the question. Like, why did the Caps and how are the Caps able to play so much better in the third period than earlier in the game? And conversely, the Lightning dipped in the third period. And it's an open-ended question. The Caps seem to feel that their game was helped by pushing the envelope physically. I brought up also the two goals they scored late in the second changed the complexion of the game and gave them a little turbo boost. And the bottom line is they just executed better. Their structure was better. Chief talked about that, how how tightly they were defending through the neutral zone without the puck. They passed the puck better. They attacked with speed. Like Their overall game was just better. But we go to that Boston Lightning game in Boston in March, and I understand that was a long time ago and it was a regular season game, but you're right. Like That was a game that had a lot of post-whistle shenanigans. There was a lot of physical play, and I thought it helped the Lightning's game. They won that game, and maybe it helped the Bruins' game too. So... I'm not sure that we can draw a direct line between teams look to play physically against the Lightning, therefore that team will have an edge in flow of play against the Lightning. I don't know that we can say that, and that's why I I took great pains yesterday to talk about the Washington game being a one-game sample size. There were other elements in that game, including their comeback late in the second, the fact that the Lightning didn't get a power play, just sometimes the ebbs and flows within a game that could have accounted for how the game unfolded. But we'll see what happens today. I think the Lightning would sign up for a game that's that's pretty physical. Because, again, whether they, they get that sort of game from Washington in the round robin or not, or from Boston in the round robin or not, or from Philly in the round robin or not, they should expect that sort of game from their opponent when the playoffs begin. That should be their expectation. So if they can get games like that in the round robin, I think that'll help prepare them for what's coming starting next week. It's a good point. Dave Mishkin, Greg Lanelli with you here, wrapping things up here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, Just some closing thoughts, Dave. We saw Carolina advance. We talked about it earlier in the show, but you know, that was a situation where I think Judd brought up where the Rangers going to be a team that was even going to make the playoffs towards the uh, the end of uh, the year and when the pause happened. And 
you know, maybe they were directly affected by uh, having that time off because uh, Carolina played well. Sebastian Ajo did some good things. And, you know, Carolina was a team that, you know, also got healthy or healthier with this pause. And, you know, a lot of people believe if they can get some decent goaltending, uh, this is a team that, you know, would be uncomfortable to play against. Well, I thought their goaltending was good. I mean, again, it was three games, but, and they used both. Morozik played games one and two, and James Reimer played game three. So two things about Carolina for me. First of all, it is clear that they were able to rediscover late regular season into playoff form quickly. Now, was some of that due to the opposition? the way they matched up against the Rangers, although the Rangers did go 4-0 against them during their regular season series. Who knows? Maybe against, I don't know, Montreal, it might have looked a little differently. <laughs> we can't we can't project how Caroline would have played against a different opponent. All we can do is look at the three games they played against the Rangers. They were really tight. They were really strong, and when they had breakdowns, which didn't happen a lot, their goaltending was very, very good. And their top line was phenomenal. They had a great series, no doubt. And the Rangers had trouble dealing with that top line. So congratulations to them. But the second thing that came to my mind immediately was the first round of the playoffs won't be starting until next Tuesday at the earliest. In other words, the first day of competition will be the 11th. That means Carolina has one full week minimum before they play another game. And during a regular playoff year, we talk about how long gaps between games can sometimes adversely affect teams. Like you do want to win your series as quickly as possible for obvious reasons, wear and tear, cut down on potential injuries, etc. You want to move on as quickly as possible. But it, you can get sometimes a four or five, six day layoff. In this case is going to be a week at least. And if they play on the second day of round one, it would be more than a week. Let's see if they're able to get through this pause with no game action and come back against one of the round robin teams. So they're going to be playing one of the top four teams in the conference. And let's see how they come out at the start of their next series after having a long layoff. So that, that was what I thought about. They played great, but now they have to deal with kind of a weird kind of adversity where, you know, they're stuck in the hub city. Maybe I shouldn't say stuck because it sounds pretty good <laughs> up there, right. Greg, in terms of, you know, how the players are, are being treated and the amenities that the league has provided. But still, you know what I'm saying, that they got some time here to twiddle their thumbs. And there's only so much you can do in practice before they actually get back to game action. So I'm curious to see how Rod Brindamore handles this and how he gets his team ready for when their next real game begins. Well, it's going to be fun this afternoon. Of course, all of the action you can hear on Lightning Power Play, starting with the pregame at 3.30. We'll be talking to Brian Burns, obviously Dave Mishkin, and Phil Esposito. We'll hear from some players throughout, and uh, Kaylee Chelios will be giving us her analysis, and uh, we'll be getting you ready for that game. It should be a lot of fun, and I know a lot of Lightning fans are excited about Tampa Bay and Boston this afternoon, but we invite you to join us starting at 3.30 and then all the way out through the podcast into intermission and the post game. Dave, good stuff. Uh, as always, we'll do it again tomorrow. We're going to recap the game, and I believe we're going to have Dan Rosen from NHL.com be our guest. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Dan will be uh, giving us his analysis on the bubble and how things have uh, worked out there. Uh, as well. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. I am Greg Linnelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow, but join us today at 3.30 for the pregame with the puck dropping at 4 o'clock between the Lightning and the Boston Bruins. And you can listen to it all right here on Lightning Power Play.